0: Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are exploring the changing rules of business leadership and how CEOs are navigating this change. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray.
1: And I'm Michal Evram. Alan, this has been a very exciting day for the Leadership Next team. We recorded today's interview with both of us here in New York in our office, and our guest was here in person for the very first time.
0: You had to fly to get here. I've been on so many airplanes in the last six months that it's making my head spin a little bit. And so I think it's appropriate that today we were able to welcome Delta's CEO, Ed Bastian, into the studio. He's such a fun guy to talk to very personable uh uh and runs a great company so being in person with him was was fun
1: and i have to admit i did not fly delta Uh-oh. from sfo to here Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> but but we heard a lot about delta um and uh and he had just so many interesting stories to tell he took over as ceo of delta in 2016 um but he's been at the company for a very long time spent 25 years there actually left and and came back at some point And that means he's been with the company through some incredibly challenging times um, in the airline industry and in the world. And that includes 9-11, of course, the pandemic, um, Delta's bankruptcy declaration in 2007, a lot of stuff.
0: It was interesting to hear him talk about all of those. Uh, And he also talked about the thing I really wanted to hear him talk about. He's been in some pretty controversial showdowns with the Georgia state legislature, uh, both because of an action he took to rescind a discount program for members of the National Rifle Association and because of uh, uh, strong comments he made uh, around that uh, voting bill that was passed by Republicans in the Georgia legislature after the last presidential election. So I was eager to talk to him about how he felt about being labeled as a woke CEO and why he did what he did and whether he would continue to do
1: it. Yeah, we we heard about that. I think he was very candid. Um, Ed also told us about revenge travel on a lighter note um, and how that's leading to a lot of demand. Um, Delta has brought on 25,000 employees to help meet that demand. And speaking of the culture at Delta, um, they were ranked number 12 on Fortune's most admired companies this year. And the company is usually towards the top of our annual best places to work list as well. So we talked a bit about what it's like to work for Delta, why they're the only major airline whose flight attendants are not unionized, which I thought was really interesting.
0: So uh, I'm I am a committed Delta flyer. I grew up in Tennessee. You couldn't go anywhere without going through Atlanta. So I I got onto the loyalty uh, program earlier. Uh, I like the service they provide, but also really like getting on the airplane. And right there at the door, you see that sticker on it. Oh, yeah. It says Fortune's World Most Admired. But Mahal, enough uh, talking about the interview. Let's just get to it. Here's our interview with Ed Bastian of Delta Airlines. Ed Bastian of Delta, thanks for being with us. I have spent a lot of time on Delta airplanes and in Delta Sky Clubs over the last few months, and I don't seem to be alone. There is a lot going on out there. Can you tell us what it looks like
2: from where you sit? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Alan. It's good to, good to be with you guys the demand is really, really strong. Uh, This is, people talk about revenge travel or pent-up travel. This is beyond anything that people can can classify as as truly pent-up. Because we went through several years of people not being able to get back out and travel and experience and see loved ones, see their business colleagues, you know, adventures, you know, all the reasons we travel. And people had a lot of time over the three years. We've quantified the gap between what the inherent demand for travel, U.S. travel was over the last three years that couldn't be met based on any kind of historical pattern. That gap is $300 billion dollars. That's with a B, billion.
0: Wow. And we seem to be trying to spend it all in three months here. I mean, it's crazy out there.
2: And I'm sure we'll talk about the economy and consumer and everything we're seeing. But we're seeing demand that we've never seen before. And there's no end in sight. We've had the 20 largest cash sales days in our history all occur this year.
3: Mm.
1: So- in that sense, I guess it's not just a you know the long-awaited COVID recovery. How do you look at forecasting in this new reality? Because it's not really back to normal. Like we never had revenge travel before; it wasn't a term.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, the consumer behaviors have changed a lot too, because people are also booking further out. One of the things that we did during COVID, which I'm glad we did, and we're not going to change back, is we eliminated change fees from our products, so people can book with confidence because people want to make certain they get their trip. A lot of people remember what it was like last summer when everyone started to travel again, how hard it was. And people just wanted to go. It seemed like the world wanted to travel all at the same time. And didn't matter where they went or what they paid. They just wanted to be out. And we struggled as an industry because we, we had a lot of new people that we we're training and bringing back up again. This summer, we're ready. We have hired over 25,000 people. They're trained them and they're experienced and they're ready to see uh, the, the crowds and the demands. And so as a result of that, you know our forecasts are that this is going to stay very, very busy and we're going to make sure that we're staffed and we've got every plane that we're possible that we're utilizing. Uh, there's also a lot of constraints around the industry. You know, the aircraft manufacturers aren't producing as many aircraft on time, the engine makers are having challenges delivering uh, the, the the engines that we need or the repairs that are needed, supply chain you know, challenges, staffing challenges still exist in some parts of the industry. So, you know, the, there, there's more balance between the, the supply than ever in terms of what you can put out with with strong demand, which is which is yielding some some good results for our industry.
0: I, I fly Delta a lot. I, I don't get hit with fees the way I do on some other airlines. You know, if you if you want if you actually want a seat, you have to pay extra for it. Other airlines are clearly using that to make money. How do you make money?
2: We were going to take it off before COVID hit, but when COVID hit, it was the perfect time to take it off because one of the deterrents to travel during COVID was you weren't quite sure. What conditions you were going to find? If, the, if if you were going to be sick, if if the city wasn't going to be open, if you could even go to the location you were planning to go to, so we wanted people to be able to book. And if something had to happen and change, we could we would change and make it easy. The other thing that's happened, uh, Alan, during this period. We've invested a lot in our app and the technology and the self-service capability. And so customers can also control their own experience when they have to make a change, when they have to get a refund, when they have to look for some better alternative. We always tell people we want the app to feel like it's the, their own red coat, the famous Delta red coat in their pocket, ready there to serve them.
0: Uh, Mahal and I were having the same conversation with the CEO of Marriott recently. I mean, as, as people who work in an industry that got disintermediated by the big tech platforms, you know, media went to Google and Facebook and and we became dependent on them for our audiences. What you've done and what Marriott uh, has done is really impressive.
2: You go back 10 years ago, uh, the big online agencies, the Expedias, the Pricelines, the Travelocities, they all consolidated. And we are now to the point where less than 10% of our bookings go through those uh, online agencies. Wow. wow! And over 50% of the bookings go direct to Delta.
0: Wow. 50% through the app?
2: Mo- mostly through the app or uh, .com or our reservations line. You know, people calling. Wow. it. Wow. And what that gives you is the opportunity to build a better service experience because you know your customers then.
1: So um, I've been told you like to talk about free Wi-Fi, I so <laughs> I can't talk to you without bringing it up. But this is another thing that um, I, I think you've said has kind of been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. So so why now?
2: Well, we, we've been uh, working on this for years. Uh, people... Don't understand. Customers don't understand why, why why you have to charge Wi-Fi in the sky. And the reality is, is that the airlines don't have the equipage. They don't have the bandwidth. The reality is you're hurtling at 500 miles an hour versus sitting here in a, in a conference room or a living room and, and getting getting good reception. Uh, because people want to be connected. And that's the only place in the world that you're not connected, is in the sky. And so we've invested billions of dollars, including during COVID. We struck a new deal with a new satellite provider, Viasat, and they're doing a wonderful job for us. We had to get every single one of our plane-type models re-outfitted and recalibrated and approved and certified by the FAA. And we have over 20 different models of planes that we operate. Every single one of them had to be tested, and that's a six to 12-month process. And uh, so it's, it's been a tremendous amount of work. But one of the reasons we wanted to make it, obviously we wanted a great great customer experience. The other reason is there's still a lot of our customers we don't know. What we, we know, we have a great loyalty program, we have 20 million active users of our Sky Miles program, but we also know there's over 20 million members or customers out there that are not members of our program that are using our product. That don't haven't signed on, or for some reason they haven't made an attachment. They don't have the loyalty, and when you give them high quality Wi-Fi that works, people will say yes, I'm in. Just since we soft launched in November, we've had over six hundred thousand new members, new signups, signups. Wow! And interestingly, it's exactly what I thought it'd be. The demographic of our existing SkyMoz members is about forty years of age. Just the average age of the people signing up. 10 years younger, 30 years of age, I haven't made a decision yet, haven't joined a, a company. So there's going to be uh, a loyalty factor, a stickiness, a reason why I fly Delta is for Wi-Fi. And then we're going to be bringing in a lot of entertainment, shopping opportunities, exploratory uh, exclusive offers from folks while you're on that portal. So the, the Wi-Fi is just the start.
0: Jason Garzadas, the CEO of Deloitte US, is the sponsor of this podcast and joins me today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. Jason, we live in an era of disruption, technology disruption, geopolitical disruption, workplace disruption, and it makes accurate predictions about what's going to happen in the future more difficult than it has ever been. Yet the polls that we do together with you
3: show that most business leaders largely remain optimistic. Why do you think that is? Well, I think optimism is a result of the fact that we've been through an incredibly tumultuous three years. And so I think business leaders realize that they've built resilience into their organizations. The prospect of even more disruption isn't as foreign of a concept, and I think there's more confidence in their ability to adapt and to be agile. Secondarily, there's been tremendous investment in technology and new capabilities that client organizations and executives broadly are optimistic about those creating more value and more opportunity. So it's a function of what we've been through, as well as the investments that have been made that give a sense of optimism, despite some of the headwinds.
0: And what's What's your advice to companies that are struggling with the potential disruption in the future?
3: Well, disruption is the new normal. I don't think there's any placid water on the horizon or calmness that we can predict. So it's a function of getting accustomed to the discontinuities that are ahead of us, whether it's around technology or geopolitical change or workplace changes associated with the future of work or the demands of the talent workforce. Change is the new normal. As a result, it is requiring executive teams to actually look holistically at those challenges, be facile with doing scenario planning and being on the lookout for where and how to capitalize on disruption versus being concerned by it or seen as a barrier to their success.
0: Jason, thanks for your perspective and thanks for sponsoring Leadership Next.
3: Thank you.
1: Okay. So let's let's go back a ways. Um, you became CEO in 2016, um, but you you have a, a history with the company and you you left, you came back. Um, you've gone through so many ups and downs before COVID as well, 9-11. What's, what's been the, the biggest challenge for you um, as a leader at Delta over the years? What do you think has been the most challenging time?
2: Well, there's been a lot of challenges, and certainly the pandemic was the was the granddaddy of all all challenges. But you're right; we've been we've been uh, born of adversity and crisis, whether 11 uh, which led to a bankruptcy, went through the recession in two thousand eight. Big merger. Uh, we 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 uh, bought Northwest and, and and disruptions, fuel spikes, wars. You know this this is an industry. Sounds
1: like a great job.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's great if you like a challenge. Run towards
1: um, fire, right?
2: But that's that th- th- there's something to be said for that. You know, there's reasons why people do these jobs, and there's reasons why people do run to fires and people that put out fires, is because we want to make a difference, and we enjoy. And it's exhilarating when, when you get it right. And we know that this service that we provide, air travel, is one that over time had been commoditized, had been uh, beaten down, and it was only it was only a price game for consumers. And we said we wanted to do it differently. We wanted it to be something where people chose us f- because we're the best, not just because we're, the, we're the, they're the, most, the most affordable. And we've accomplished that. And that was probably the most difficult thing of the of the pandemic. And we'd gotten to the top of our our industry, not just in the U.S. but on a global scale, the largest, most profitable, most highest performing. And then COVID cut our legs out, and we were all back to zero all all of a sudden. And I'd say that was probably the most difficult time. You know, of all these various crises. You know, there were several weeks there that I was just. Pretty depressed. Uh, You know, it's just everything and all the work over the last 15 years to create your back to not only having to build it back, but you didn't even know how you were going to build it back in the face of a global pandemic. quickly snapped myself out of it realized that there was not a time in the hundred year history of delta airlines it was more important for the person to be sitting in the seat than right then and there and i realized it wasn't a burden it was a it was a blessing it was a privilege to lead it was an honor to have that that choice and take a hundred thousand people through the journey of their of their lifetime and um, every single day I remind myself what an honor it is, what, a, what an opportunity. And, it's, and I, I really do believe that, you know, and making a difference matters. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart, but it's something that I get a tremendous amount of, of uh, joy and reward through, through seeing the, the excitement of our own people. So,
0: speaking of not for the faint of heart, uh, you you are uh, headquartered in the great state of Georgia, just a little down the road from where I grew up, Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee, um, and you've been in a couple of high-profile fights with the uh, Republican state legislature. One, when you decided to pull back a discount plan for people traveling to the NRA conference after the Parkland shootings, then again after the election when the uh, state legislature passed a, a voting bill and you took a public stand against it. A lot of blowback. People accuse you of being a woke CEO. The Wall Street Journal editorial page has has uh, jumped on your case. Why'd you do it? What have you learned from it? Do you regret doing it? Would you do it again if you had to? And 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 then we can go from there into talking about the state of our nation's politics.
2: Well, th- these were not comfortable decisions, and they were not um, taken at the, the spur of a moment. I mean, one one of the things that. I've learned, and I think many of us are learning, is that this is not something that you just decide to do one day. Uh, we're not trained. You know, we our goal is to keep ourselves off the out, the, out of the headlines, and, and we don't want to be seen as as being politicians. We want all customers to love us. Um, but you, at, at there's times where the values of what you stand for, particularly for your own employees, matter, and you need to be their voice. They expect you. To, to have a voice on, on some matters that are deeply troubling and concerning to them. And what I've learned, Alan, is that you don't, if, if you're always clear about who you are, what values you represent, what your company stands for, when those times come, you almost feel it, it's a, it's appropriate to, to speak up at, in the right way. And, and um no, I don't I don't regret it. What I did was it fun? No, it was awful, uh, an awful experience. Did we learn from it? Of course, we learned from it. But we we stood by our, our people, which was the, the most important. And even in our people, you know, it's not universal support. There was there was some some challenges within the, the employee group. But the voting rights legislation, uh, particularly our African-American community felt targeted. And we are the largest employer of Black Americans in the state of Georgia, mm-hmm. and there was a huge call to, to to let them know that you know their their voices were being heard, and we were going to try to make make something of that.
0: But the pandemic may have been a passing problem. This is not; it's growing. You have a today. I think we're going to have an announcement from a a candidate for president who is going to make woke corporations a centerpiece, if not the centerpiece of his campaign. Uh, You have attorneys generals in numerous states around the country, uh, all trying to pull companies into the political fray, make it impossible for you to stay out by exploiting these kinds of opportunities. What should we do about that? What are you going to do about that? I mean, you you can't spend your time fighting political battles.
2: And, And I don't. And I don't, and, um, and I'm not a politician, and I'm not looking to make political statements. I'm looking to run the best airline I can and be a voice for our people you know, when it matters. Um, I think the litmus test on all these, as we look back, is when, when uh, a CEO or a corporate official speaks, are people surprised the, of, the, of the stance they took? Because that's when the real problems come, when people are surprised and it, it catches attention. And if you're always talking about what you're for as compared to what you're against, and when something that's clearly against what you have told people time and time and time what you're for, then it's, it's more, you know, it's, it's, not, it's never easy, but at least people can understand the perspective that you're lending. But when people come out and and make a stance or they flip-flop on a stance or they people have a hard time drawing the relationship between why they took that stance and who they are and what values they represent, that's when you get yourself into problems.
1: That's really interesting because I'm sure you're closely watching what's going on with Disney um, right next door to you guys. And um, that, that litmus... Test that you're talking about is a is a really interesting lens um but but it does seem like just in, as we're seeing with with disney um it is so hard to stay out of the conversation because there are just such high stakes now, and there's a business case here um do you feel like it's gotten harder to stay out of the dialogue
2: i don't I don't think so um you know, you've got to be very careful before you get into the dialogue. You know, just don't throw your, throw your hat in the ring, so to speak. And I, you know, I, I think this, I, you know, there's something, and you, you guys have reported on it in the past about trust, um, and how corporate leaders are seen with a higher level of trust than ever before, and um, and as a result, your customers, your your employees, you know, the the credibility. Because you know you're seen as being somewhat objective about certain matters as compared to pol- politicians who have a, a partisan view. Um, you know we got we got to we got to be careful that we protect that trust, uh, not at the risk of always you know kind of being a being a, a voice of 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 of, of divisiveness or, or difference but being a positive voice of what we what we are for and I keep telling people that if if we are positive and we're constructive and we're trying to make a difference or trying to be as as strong with Republicans as Democrats we want we want everybody to be flying on delta and they all do fly in Delta we'll be okay
0: I used to read a lot of books on airplanes yeah those in the good old days <laughs> Another issue that you have made central to Delta's mission is sustainability. And that's a hard one for an airline. I mean, we're we're not going to be flying electric planes anytime soon, right? So, so what do you think the path forward is? Uh, I mean, for a while, you and other airlines were buying offsets, but some people criticized the offsets. Are they real? Does that really solve the problem? What do you think the path forward is for Delta on sustainability?
2: Oh, it's a tough path. And, you know, we're in an industry that's, that's Labeled as hard to decarbonize because jet fuel is ninety five percent of our footprint that we create, and there is not an alternative at scale or any kind of affordability to uh, with biofuels or sustainable aviation product in in even in the medium term. Um, so as a result, you have to do everything. You know, it's it's the new engines. You know, we're taking uh, about fifty new airplanes this year, all of which are anywhere between 20 to 30% more fuel efficient than the planes we retired. People don't appreciate, we, we retired at Delta over 200 old, old airplanes during the pandemic. Today, the cost to fly you like for like uh, in terms of fuel efficiency as a consumer, 6% more fuel efficient every single consumer, every single day on Delta than just in 2019.
0: A quick question about that: When you retire them, somebody else buys them, right? I, uh, you know, they fly them on breeze we, or we, we, spirit. We t- or, we tend, no,
2: no, 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 no. We tend to we tend to we tend to retire, stay with them right till the very end. And yes, yeah, so you're seriously retiring them from use. Yeah, we own these planes. We will not let another airline take them. So they're 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 more valuable. The they're more valuable dead than alive. Yeah, the, for the parts for the parts. Um, so. Think about six percent more fuel efficient every, and we have two hundred million customers a year. That's a that's a significant step, and every year we're getting one to two points better as as we move forward. So that's a big a big statement. Um, it was great in the Inflation Reduction Act that we finally have federal support and incentive to invest in sustainable aviation development in terms of fuels. And you know the big problem. I, I talked to all the energy producers; they're good friends, and they would love to invest and develop. Um, you know, opportunity for us to have a more sustainable product. They just don't know how the airlines are going to be there for them if they put the billions of dollars in to buy it, because we can't afford it, the prices there. So this is a place where government does make a difference. Uh, it's, it's the work on the taxiways. You, when you look outside the window of a plane and a tarmac, you see lots of activity, tugs and cars. And at Delta, our goal is by the end of 2025 to be 50% electric. Of everything that's on the ground and 100% electrified by 2030 uh, on the ground. It's elimination of plastics aboard our, our uh, in-cabin experience or in our airports and our clubs. And so it's a sum of everything that we're working on long-term. I think sustainable aviation fuel has, has real, real opportunity, particularly in the states where you can have the uh, access to the resources. One of the problems with biofuels is that they don't transit. You you can't put it in a pipeline, it's not going anywhere. So you have to develop it close to where your home market use is. So in Michigan, in Minnesota, In Georgia, we have great states that are very interested in developing these resources and these tools, and they're providing their own state incentives on top of some federal incentives. So this is going to take everyone coming together to create a better future for us all.
0: You think the long-term solution is more likely to be biofuels than to be some sort of a hydrogen-based fuel?
2: Um, Yes, yes. I mean, over time... Will there be hydro- hydrogen enter the equation? Yes, but you're probably talking you know minimum twenty five years or more wow. before you start to see any any meaningful difference. You know we're just not we don't have the the uh, the airports we don't have the fuel fuel capabilities we don't have the storage capabilities on our planes. You're talking about a very different industry at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Um- very different kind of innovation, but we had Reed Hoffman on recently talking about generative AI, and I don't think you can talk to a CEO today, Alan, without bringing it up. Um, how are you thinking about it? And and I know you've used AI and algorithms for for a long time, but with generative AI, are there new applications? Are there new innovations for Delta?
2: There will certainly be enormous opportunity for us. Uh, I think you're you're also talking a lot of. CEOs are a bit cautious about stepping in too quickly on this because it's, 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 it's a world we don't quite know enough about. It's also uh, a real challenge for an airline like Delta. We have a you know, long history, we have great technology. But, you know, we're not necessarily designed to implement that technology. We're, we don't we don't have our, our knitting of our own framework in place. Yeah. Uh, we're in the midst of a very large application to move things to the cloud with AWS. We're about halfway through. Mm-hmm. That journey will be done by the end of next year. And so then we'll be able to be much more agile in, in its use. So we're not interested in, in generative AI just for as a science project. You know, I, I think we have plenty of other science projects that we can work on. But we are one of the very first industries that used AI you know in the algorithm you know for pricing, for revenue management. We have we operate 5000 flights a day and there's hundreds of thousands of flights that are out available for purchase over the course of a year where pricing is dynamic it's changing, you've got loyalty arrangements, you're using sky miles, you're using currency and all that all that that data and that insight is 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 algorithm
0: driven? And we also have some have had some pretty high profile incidents of 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 um, a mismanagement of scheduling crews. Uh, you know, making sure people are in the right place at the right time. Not on Delta, on other airlines, but I, I assume that's part
2: of it as well. Our digital strategy, which you know it means different things to different people, is probably the most important initiative we have in the company right now. Because when you think about an airline, you think about Delta, we have very expensive assets in you know, our planes, we have very expensive employees, our pilots, our mechanics, our crews. We're dealing with a lot of variables in, in the weather and atmospheric conditions, and our, our flight schedule is always subject to some some kind of change. And how do you get to a full optimization of the best solution for your customers, for your shareholders financially, for your your employees, to be able to balance all these different constraints and variables that are happening real time all the time in our industry. I think there's there's enormous value in that. And we're going to be very careful to make sure we don't just start doing it because it's, it's the new cool thing as compared to really understanding what we're looking to create. But I think over... In the next several years, you're going to see some really interesting applications. And it won't be just taking – I know people talk about, well, you don't need reservation agents anymore because people can – you can – yes, there, there will be some. But we need reservation agents because people like to talk to people. You'd be surprised how many calls we get in our reservation centers from customers that just want to hear everything's on schedule, that they, they know where they go. They already know, but they just want that, that assurance. And and that's part of the service we provide. And that, that there's there's no robot that's going to be able to replace the, the touch. Of a human.
1: So speaking of of people, um, I have a couple of questions on on this end, um, and and the first one is on the shortages that we have seen um, coming out of COVID when it comes to pilots and and other personnel. But I think pilots is a, a one that's of in, of particular interest. Um, and so, just curious for an update there. And then, second question: um, My understanding is that you're the only major airline where flight attendants are not unionized. And so, we'd love to hear a bit about that and why that's the case, why that's main. You've maintained that. Um, there's a ton of of interest and attention right now, as you know, on unions with the writer strike and and unionization efforts across tech companies, which we haven't seen in the past. So. Um, two-part question there.
2: First question on pilots and staffing. We're, we're in a good place. It's taken us several years to get to the point where our pilots are now fully in position. Um, it wasn't a problem hiring pilots. We have many, many pilots that want to come for Delta. It, it's really been the training of pilots. When the pandemic hit, one of the first things we did is we, we knew we had to get small fast. And so we we made a very gener, uh, generous generous uh, retirement opportunity for all of our employees, and we had about two thousand pilots took them. We had at the time we had twelve thousand pilots, and we so it's a large number of our pilots took, took retirement. We also knew that in order to replace those two thousand pilots, we were going to have to train twelve thousand pilots mm-hmm. to get there because the people that retired tend to be at the top of the seniority rung, the people coming in are at the bottom, and and every person comes in kind of bumps somebody else and there's a daisy chain effect. So we knew it was going to take us three years to get to our full capability. So it wasn't it was and it's because of there there's a limited amount of training devices and simulators are very expensive and the schoolhouses are are, you know, brick buildings with you, there's only so much you can do. You can't train pilots, you know, sitting on a on a computer. They got to be experiencing with an instructor. So we're 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 at that point, and we're trained across the board. We have over twenty five thousand new people that we've brought in over the last two years, and they're they're trained. They're 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 ready to go. It's going to be a busy, you know, good summer for them, and they're gonna they're they're ready. It's it's our Super Bowl on the employees. Uh, Delta has always had a great culture with its its employees. It's had the best service. It's had the best relations. It has the best profit share. It has the best performance. And I think one of the reasons why is that we have a direct relationship with our people. We treat our people well, Uh, as I tell our people all the time. It's our responsibility to take care of you, not somebody else. And the better job we do, the better job that you're going to be able to perform you know, for your customers, and it's an employee-first culture. And we're the only airline in our industry that, that is, you know, largely non-union. We have our pilots unionized, but that's about it. Everybody else, including ground staff and mechanics, everybody is, is non-union. And they've 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 delivered the best performance. They've gotten the best pay. They've gotten the best rewards. And my goal is to obsess on um, taking the very best care of them.
1: Um, we talked earlier about some of the, the- – Past challenges and the, the crises that you've gone through as CEO, and um, I wanted you to share with us a little bit about um, a, a sense of, I guess, re- redemption and, and homecoming in Salt Lake City, if yeah. you could just share that that story that's briefly.
2: It's a, a beautiful story. Um, the company went through bankruptcy following 9-11, and I was the, the chief restructuring officer for the company as well as the chief financial officer. So I was having to make a lot of hard decisions about reducing things. You know, we had to cut jobs, we had to cut pay, we had to cut benefits, we had to cut contracts. Uh, in order to survive. And one of the contracts that went was the the naming rights on the Delta Center and Salt Lake City, which we had put in 1990 when the, the center was built. We have a large hub in Salt Lake City. We have a large employee base. We have great customers in Salt Lake City. It was very painful. And because the Delta brand is so strong in that community, even though it was no longer called the Delta Center for years and years, people would call it the Delta Center. And, and I, I, I always felt kind of bad about that. I mean, it was like, I wasn't paying for it. And... People would come to me and say, why don't we, we take it back? And I said, well, they already called the Delta Center. I don't know what, what that would why do. Why should we
1: pay money? Precisely. <laughs> so um,
2: But when Ryan Smith, the, the owner of the, the Jazz, took over the team a number of years ago, and he's a friend of mine, we started talking. I mentioned to him if there was ever an opportunity to get the Delta Center back. I would be very interested in, in uh, exploring that. And, and we did earlier this year, we, we made a deal to bring the name of the Delta Center back. And when we, when we announced that in January, that we were taking it back, and there's going to be another celebration in October when, we, when the name is, is back up uh, outside the street, uh, people were emotional. People were stopping you in the streets. People, the ushers heard and they went home and got their old Delta Center name badges and put them on for, wow. that, for that night. Um, that's where brands and corporations and individuals, uh, you, you make a difference. And so the investment we have in that community is, it is into the billions of dollars. But this was kind of the, the, the cherry on top. You, you, you're you going to make a few basketball games, you think? <laughs> I, I, am, I am definitely going to make a few basketball games. You're rooting
1: for the Jazz next <laughs> season?
2: I, I'm, I'm rooting for the Jazz. And uh, I, I, I got to be careful. My good friend Tony wrestler owns a Hawks in Atlanta. Yeah, so. yeah, you got to watch out for So I like everybody. I like everybody. Sure. sure.
0: <laughs> Keep that up. Ed Bastian, great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Leadership Next. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you for having me. Leadership Next is edited and produced by Alexis Hott. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Our executive producer is Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a product of Fortune Media.